Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now and ask that you will establish our church for your glory and your glory alone. May all who come to Redeemer come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ for your glory alone. Father, we ask that you will establish the ministries here at Redeemer Church for your namesake, for you are great and awesome. Father, we pray that you will build our church on the truth of your word. Let us not stray from it. Help us to stay in it and be a people of the word. Father, be our focus and our joy. Father, renew us this morning. Delight yourself in the raising up of our faith. Strengthen us now, we pray, in your Holy Spirit. Father, we do pray for our marriages here. We pray that the marriage's husband and wife will see that their relationship is beyond them. That marriage is a representation of the gospel. Husbands will love their wives as Christ loves the church. Wives will follow their husbands as the church follows Christ. Father, that in our marriages the gospel will be seen, it will be heard, and it will be taught to our children. We pray for our families that the young children, that you will save them, you will give them new hearts and new minds, a new mind to understand the gospel, new hearts that love the gospel, who love your son. And Father, may it not end just with us here who are gathered. Father, may you give us a heart for the lost. Father, use us as your instruments to reach our neighbors. May the gospel be proclaimed. Father, there are over 16,000 people here in King George who don't value the gospel. Father, may you use us to proclaim and to help reach them. May you bring not just Redeemer to these people, but more gospel-centered churches in King George that will proclaim the truth of the gospel. Father, we pray as we begin the ABC ministry that you will... Be the center of it. As we enter into the neighborhoods and we teach who you are, that you will use that time to teach the children who you are. And may you use that to save many. Father, as we teach the children and the opportunities to talk to the parents, may the gospel be on our lips. May we look for those gospel opportunities to tell them about Jesus, to maybe strengthen their faith, or for the first time that they may hear the truth of the gospel. Father, we pray not only for King George, but in the surrounding area. This morning we lift up Foundation Church in Fredericksburg, a young church who seeks to proclaim the gospel there in Fredericksburg. Father, I pray that you'll be with Pastor Bobby this morning that He will proclaim Your Word, that it will not fall on deaf ears, but His congregation will hear the truth and they will respond. Father, strengthen that body. And may You save many in Fredericksburg through that ministry. Father, as we go through the 50 largest unreached people groups in the world, Father, another people group in India, the Nai people, 
just under 11 million people where less than 2% believe in Jesus Christ. Millions of people lost in darkness who stand in judgment for their sin, Father. Father, this is a people who are considered just above the untouchables in India. And their religion has trapped them into believing that there's a way to improve who they are. Father, break them of that bondage. Father, they stand impoverished. There's little hope of the future. They believe that the evil spirits can be thwarted by rituals and traditions. Father, may they see the evil in their own hearts. Open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. Help them to see the reality of who Jesus is. May the cross be seen as glorious to them. And Father, as we turn to your word now, may the cross be seen as glorious to us. May we embrace the cross. May we love the cross. Open our eyes and fill our hearts to your holy word. By your grace, save us. Transform us. It's in your holy name. Amen. The message of the gospel is a message of hope and salvation. It provides a person with the truth of God's sovereign plan to save sinners. That it's the great work of God to rescue sinners from sin and save them from His wrath. It says that God has the ability, and only God has the ability, to transform a sinner into a saint and give them the pleasure of enjoying Him forever. It's a wake-up call to those who have not heard the message before. That sinners are helpless and sinners are hopeless and can do nothing without the grace of God given to them through faith in Jesus Christ. This gospel message gives great insight into who God is. It's a page out of his own autobiography, if you will. God is seen as just and righteous in upholding his holiness and is seen as gracious and loving by pardoning repentant sinners who plead for His mercy. This is who our God is. The Gospel message is remarkable in its claim, and it's unique in its claim. It essentially says that redemption only comes by the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That God became a man and died in the place of sinners. The great truth that salvation is in what Jesus has done for you, that you needed Jesus to die for you. It means that believing in Jesus as your Savior, that He died on the cross for you. That's what saves you. It proclaims that there's a divine being who created everything, who long ago put a plan in place to save His people from His judgment through the sacrifice of His own Son, that His Son died in their place from His judgment so that they can be forgiven by His grace and then experience His love and His peace and His joy 
forever. It's from God. It's given through God. And ultimately, it's for God. There's not another message like this in the world. There's not another message like it that deals with the depths of a person's soul. There's not another message in the world that provides hope like the gospel. There's not another message in the world that has the power to save. Maybe you've shared this message with someone before who's listened and then they have balked at it. They've rejected the message of the gospel, claiming that they're not in need of saving. Maybe it's someone you've prayed for for a long time. To tell someone that there's more to life than what they see, that there's a day coming when all of us will face a holy, righteous God seems too far-fetched to them, too far away. It's too far removed from this life and what they're striving for. It doesn't make sense to them. It seems to take away from the good things that they're after in this life. Who wants to think of death and eternity when today needs to be lived? Maybe you've wanted to share this message with someone, and for fear of being rejected by them, you've watered down the gospel message. You made it more palatable and accepting, but you didn't get the response that you were expecting. They may say that they believe in Jesus because you made it more palatable and accepting, but they don't accept the true gospel message. This weak version of the gospel was rejected essentially and did not change the person's mind to believe in the Christian faith, to believe in the truth. Maybe you know of someone who believes in this watered-down version of the gospel, yet their life is no different now than before accepting that weak version. They may say they believe, but there's no fruit of salvation. The Christian life is one that is defined with humble joy, and their life is neither humble nor joyous. This weak version has done nothing in their worship of God and their desire to follow Jesus. The true gospel message is a message that changes the very essence of who people are. Those who respond to the gospel, who've heard the truth of the gospel, remain, do not remain unchanged. They are not left unchanged. And it's all because of Jesus on the cross. The message of the gospel is in fact the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. Where God dealt with His people's sin. There's no gospel apart from the work of Christ on the cross. It's on the cross where Jesus willingly took sin upon Himself and paid the penalty for that sin. It's the cross where Jesus died so that His people can live. It's the cross of Jesus that truly does make man free. And it's the cross of Jesus where the power of God is seen at its highest peak. Where glory and grace merge in the defeat of sin and death. 
And Jesus triumphs over sin and reigns forever. And it is the cross that the reformers worked hard to reclaim as vital, as the key focus to the Christian faith. By the 1500s, the church had gotten off track. There was a German monk who simply wanted to help the church to see its problems and to address them. He became the one who set off a firestorm in the church and began what we call today the Reformation. Martin Luther looked at the church and saw that the cross of Jesus had become a sideshow. It was an afterthought in the lives of those in the church. In response, at one point, Martin Luther once said this, quote, Therefore this text, He bore our sins, must be understood particularly, thoroughly, as the foundation upon which stands the whole of the New Testament, or the Gospel, as that which alone distinguishes us in our religion from all other religions. He, Jesus, bore our sins. In God's mercy, Martin Luther had come to understand that the cross was the only factor that gave sinners any hope of salvation. And it was the cross that displayed the power of God to save sinners. What Martin Luther expressed was a continued message that Paul gave to the church at Corinth. And it's a message that we need to hear today. That Christ bore our sins on the cross. And God's power to save sinners is seen in the death of the only one who did not deserve to die. It was a death for criminals. And in God's mercy, He used it to crush sin's grip on His people and provide them with new life in His name. Some hear this gospel message and they can't comprehend it. It's foolishness to them. What they must hear, what we must proclaim, what we must plead with them, is that they see the cross as their best and their only hope of salvation. This is what Paul tells the Corinthians in his letter to them. In our passage this morning, Paul is beginning to dismantle the Corinthians' wayward thinking in his letter. He tells them that there's a course correction that needs to happen. And that course correction leads them straight for the cross of Jesus Christ. Human wisdom is not the answer. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll begin in verse 18. To see that God designed that the absurdity of the gospel leads to personal experience of divine grace and of divine power. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'll begin in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen. The Hebrew writer tells us that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. May the Holy Spirit use this passage this morning to penetrate His truth deep into our hearts like a sword, to sear God's Word into our souls and cause us to obey and to be faithful to Him. May our thoughts and our intentions be aligned with God this morning. This morning, I want us to see three things in this text. Number one, it was God's design for the cross to humble sinners. Number two, God's design is through preaching, proclaiming the gospel. And number three, this is his design because God is wiser and stronger than man. Let's look at the first one together. That it was God's design for the cross to humble sinners. What Paul says in our passage this morning is fearless. It's even audacious. And it needs explaining. He says to the Corinthians in verse 18, look with me again please. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Paul says that there's two types of people in the world. There are those who are perishing, and there are those who are being saved. There's no in-between, there's no third option. There's two types, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Those who are perishing look to the cross of Jesus and think it's absurd. It's absurd to believe that God died that kind of gruesome death to save people. The idea that people are so wicked and so lost that God had to save them is ridiculous to them. But those who are being saved see the cross as the power of God making the only way of salvation possible. Those who are being saved not only look to the cross, but they embrace the cross. They embrace the death of the one who died in their place. And they worship God for His blood being spilt and His life sacrificed in their place. This is a shocking statement that Paul makes here. It's one that has vast consequences. One group of people 
are perishing. They are facing an end where essentially they will be destroyed. This is severe. Who tells people this? Who talks like this? But Paul is only saying what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 1. It says, The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Those who are perishing are facing a day when their lives will be accounted for and they will have nothing, nothing to atone for their sin. Everything about them will be weighed and their end will be final. Paul is saying that they're already on the road of destruction. Notice he doesn't say people will perish. He says people are perishing. They're on the road. He writes, those who are perishing, they are dying now. But those who are being saved, thank God, those who are being saved, it's the power of God. It is God who dies, who atones, who resurrects, and who triumphantly defeats sin. And that power is given to His people to save them. How do these two types of people come to the side that the word of the cross is either folly or it's the power of God? Those perishing see it as folly. Those being saved see it as the power of God. How do they come to that? They both have heard it preached. They have heard the word of the cross. They've heard the message. Words are spoken. Messages are given. And some hear it, and they claim it to be foolish talk. Some hear it and see the truth of it, that the power of God is displayed gloriously and clearly on the cross of Jesus. For those who are perishing, the word of the cross, or the message of the cross, as some translations put it, has no wisdom in it, because it doesn't help them gain more out of this life. There's nothing in the gospel that helps them get ahead in this life. Nothing to give them an advantage. They are focused on what they can get out of this life. And the only things that give them that upper hand are worthy of them considering. Therefore, the word of the cross is folly to them. They don't see it as wise. They don't see the need to consider its message. But to those who are being saved... It gives them the the ability to look beyond this life to the reality of a new life in Christ where this life passes away and all things are made new. It's a life where God's grace is enjoyed even now and the forgiveness of sin is enjoyed even now and it's given freely and continuously. There's nothing else in this life that girds them for life. The gospel, the word of the cross, is divine power that breaks their bondage to sin. It unleashes the chains of death, and they're free. Now notice how verse 18 begins. For the word of the cross, or in some translations, for the message of the cross is folly to those perishing. That word for tells us something. Paul is continuing his thought from verse 17, 
which says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. The word of the cross, the message, the gospel being preached in plain language. And it's folly to those who are perishing. And it's the power of God to those being saved. Why is it this way? Why is it folly to some? Why is it the power of God to some? The same message, the same message being given is folly to some. And it's power to others. Why is it this way? Because God simply designed it this way. He told us this in the Old Testament. Please look with me again, beginning at verse 18 through 20. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Paul says that through preaching, God displays His power to humble all of mankind. Those who think they are wise, those who think they've got it all figured out, those who think they have all the answers, are humbled before Almighty God. God designed that the absurdity of the cross will perfectly display His divine power. And for some, it's the gateway to experience His eternal grace and His eternal power. Paul refers us back to the Old Testament in verse 19 by quoting Isaiah 29 verse 14. Please turn with me there and I'll begin actually in verse 13. Isaiah 29, beginning in verse 13. What Paul is doing is linking what he is saying here in the New Testament to something that was proclaimed long before him, long before the Corinthians. Beginning in verse 13, it says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. God did, in fact, do wonderful things again with this people. Jesus, on this earth, performed many signs and wonders before the people. All of these signs and wonders was to point to Him, to show them that He is the Messiah. But the people rejected Him. In their human wisdom, they lined themselves up against divine power. Previously in 1 Corinthians, Paul had said that there's no reason to align yourself with human leaders. They do not save you. You are not being wise by following any man. 
Now, Paul is pointing out God's annihilation, even, of human wisdom. Praising men, even apostles, has no part in God's salvation. Only God deserves the credit and the allegiance. If anyone thinks they're wise because of what they know, or if anyone thinks they're wise because of who they follow, Paul points directly at the crucifixion of Christ and says, There, there at the cross is the true wisdom. This is how God displays wisdom. Think on that and be in awe. There's no eloquent speech. There's no gimmicks here. We simply say, look to the cross and there's the wisdom and the power of God. A humble king who serves his people so that they can worship him displays unmatched wisdom and power that no man can compete with. At the cross, God's promise and His divine power culminate in His presence among the people. And the promise and the power merge to transform people into grace-filled, God-loving, gospel-proclaiming people. But not everyone sees this. Some see it as folly. And Scripture says they are perishing. This is not the first time that people have heard the truth, that they have heard God's Word and mocked what God has said. There are examples of folly to those perishing all throughout the Scriptures. In Genesis chapter 6 through chapter 9, God told Noah to build a boat. The people thought Noah were crazy. They mocked him and they perished. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 15 and 16, God's people were given many opportunities to repent. God sent many messengers to the southern kingdom there in Judah, and they mocked God, and God dealt with them. In the Gospels, people mocked Jesus for what He said. And when the curtain was torn in two, those people who mocked Him were full of fear. They were scared. But for God's people, that torn curtain meant that they could now enter God's presence by His power. That God is for them. God is with them. And as if that isn't enough, Paul then states in verse 20, Where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? It's as if Paul is telling them, look around you. Do you need any more proof than what you see in this world? These are four questions in verse 20 that confirm the teaching of the Old Testament in verse 19. Paul is looking at the flawed thinking of the world. He sees the self-centeredness. He sees the status-seeking, the self-sufficiency that the world craves, that it promotes. And he sees the state of the world and says, what other proof do you need? There's no improving it. Just look around and see how foolish man is. Throughout the Scriptures, God's design to humble sinners is clearly evident. No person can stand before God and have any claim on their soul. God has designed it this way. From the Old Testament into the New Testament, 
God's plan of salvation is unfolded so that no person can take credit or put all the pieces together on their own. Sinners stand before God with nothing to offer. And God has designed it this way. And then the cross is put on full display. That glorious cross, God's design to humble sinners, leads us to the cross of Jesus Christ. That event is the only hope for salvation. People need to hear that their hope is in the cross of Jesus Christ. And that leads us to our second point this morning. God's design for people to hear about the cross is through preaching. Preaching is the instrument that God designed to display His saving power. It's through preaching that sinners hear about Christ and are humbled. They hear how God came to save them. They hear the words of God and by His Holy Spirit they are saved. Please look with me at verses 21 through 24 of our passage. For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul goes on to explain that God designed preaching to show human wisdom for what it is. There's a limit to what people can grasp. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make human sense that God came to die on the cross in the place of sinners so that they can receive His grace and believe in Him. This shows the power and the wisdom of God. One commentator writes this, quote, There is wisdom in not allowing human wisdom to be the key to knowing God. End of quote. Everyone is on the same level. It doesn't matter how much education you have. It doesn't matter how much knowledge you seek after. Everyone's on the same level. Those who pursue human wisdom have no advantage the simple message of the cross needs to be heard by everyone, regardless of who you are. God is pleased to save people through the simple preaching of the gospel. God is pleased to provide a different way of knowing Him. It gives God such great pleasure to save His people. When all hope seems to fade, when people have exerted all of their energy seeking after meaning of life and purpose and such, it pleases God to save. When there's nowhere else to turn and a person stands empty before God and say, how can I be saved? It pleases God to save them and He gets the glory. The emphasis is on the message here, not in the mode of communication, not how it's communicated. The original word here is kirigma, 
It means public proclamation, to herald it, to announce the message. The message of the cross is preached here at Redeemer behind the pulpit. It can also be proclaimed in a conversation. It can be proclaimed in books, online, and sharing it with others. This public proclamation of the gospel is a stumbling block to Jews. They demand signs. And they are humbled because the Messiah gave them signs. And they still did not believe in the simple message of the gospel. Preaching is folly to Greeks, to to non-Jews. They seek worldly wisdom. Whatever will provide them with success or give them a superior position in life. They are humbled by what seems to be folly is the only truth worth considering. The proclamation of the gospel blows up any pursuit of proof, as if people can be convinced by a good argument, or any search for worldly gain, as if it would provide lasting significance for anybody. The simple message of the cross is like an island. Imagine a small island in the middle of nowhere. Jews are swimming in this ocean of despair, wondering if they're going to be rescued. And they see an island far off in the distance. But it doesn't look like the island that they want. It doesn't look like the island that they've been hoping for. And so they don't go for it, and they drown. The Greeks, the non-Jews, are in this ocean... They're in these boats, imagine them in boats, and they're sailing along looking for something significant in life. And they come across this island, and it doesn't look as glamorous or as momentous as they're looking for. So they sail right by this island, not knowing that on that island has the greatest treasure known to man. But to those who are called... The preaching of the gospel saves. For some, the cross is folly, but to the called, they come to a completely different conclusion. At the cross, they experience Christ. They were once lost. They were in that ocean of despair. They're trying to tread water to keep their heads above so they don't drown. And God shines a light And they notice that there's a boat right alongside them. And the name of that boat is B-I-B-L-E. And they get in, and they're going to follow wherever the Bible takes them. And the Bible takes them straight for that island. And they're saved. That's the gospel. Preachers preach every week. But God must call a person for preaching to have any effect. Everyone is humbled. The Jews, the Greeks, the called, everyone is humbled at the gospel. It's not with anyone else's strength or anyone else's wisdom. The called cannot swim on their own to that island. God must save them. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. God calls people to Christ. He shines that light and God saves them. This leads us to our third point this morning. First, it was God's design for the cross to humble sinners. 
Second, it's God's design for people to hear about the cross through preaching. And now, this is God's design because God is wiser and stronger than any man. Please look with me at verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The gospel confuses the wise of the world, and it overcomes the strong of the world. What the Corinthians were fighting over was foolish. And Paul was reorienting them to the cross of Jesus. Worldly wisdom still influenced the Corinthians in how they thought and how they approached life. And how they related with one another. It's the insanity of worldly wisdom versus the simple message of the gospel. God in His wisdom designed a plan to save sinners that put everything on Himself so they can be free from the bondage of sin and by His grace live with Him. In the weakness of the cross, the power of God is seen in its most powerful display. Sin's defeated. Death is defeated. The enemies of God are defeated. The Corinthians had forgotten the cross and divided themselves on their own human wisdom. This is something the world looks to. This is something the world does. It's something that the world cherishes even. And it opposes the wisdom of the gospel. The gospel does not elevate our position. The gospel humbles us before the cross of Christ. The cross is the central fact of the gospel. Without the cross, there is no gospel. The fact that He, Jesus, bore our sins is crucial to salvation. And God's Word instructs us to receive the Word of the cross by faith. God designed it this way. There's no way around it. He designed that the absurdity of the cross lead to personal experience in His divine power and grace. Paul wanted the Corinthians to focus on the cross. We need to do the same. We need to accept the absurdity of the cross as our only hope of salvation. It's the cross that provides us with God's power and His grace. If you're here and you don't know the word of the cross, if you don't know that Jesus can save you from your sin, that you can be saved by believing in Jesus, I plead with you that you see the truth of the cross. It's trusting that Christ has paid it all for you. Trust in Jesus to save you. The cross is our only hope. It's your only hope. And it's all you need. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, hear how Paul describes belief though. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, get this, for all those who are perishing because they refused to love 
the truth and so be saved. Belief is more than acknowledging facts. Belief is more than accepting truth. Belief involves loving the truth. Belief involves loving the truth of Jesus that he died for you. Do you love the truth? It's loving Jesus for dying on the cross for you. God designed it this way that nothing else can save you. Nothing else can help you. Trust in the wisdom and power of God. Turn from your sin. Repent of your sin. And believe in Jesus. Remember the cross. Only Jesus saves. Repent and be saved today. No matter how hard you swim for that island, you won't make it without the cross. You won't make it without being called by God. You won't make it without Him shining His light on you and saving you. Believe, trust that the cross is what you need. For those of us who have been called, rest in the wisdom and the power of God to save you. It's easy to become sidetracked like the Corinthians. It's easy to get caught up in the ways of this life and ways of the world. Remember the cross. Life has a way of pulling us in different directions. Remember the cross. There are times when we think in our human wisdom that we're the focus even. Remember the cross. God has designed it so that we will cling to the cross for salvation. It's not a one-time event of accepting the truth of the cross. It's a continual dependence on what Jesus has done for you. It's a continual need of grace. And it's clinging, holding on to the cross of Jesus. Preach to yourself that you need the cross. And proclaim the message of the cross to those around you. How many people around you need to hear the word of the cross? They need to hear that on the cross, Jesus died to save them. Do your neighbors know that? Do your co-workers, that difficult co-worker, do they know that? Does your family know that? We proclaim the gospel and God calls. It's truly that simple. Some will see it as folly. Some will see it as weak. But the called will come to Jesus. May we be the instruments to proclaim the good news of the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.